Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. Oh man, y'all, I am so excited to be here. Uh, Pastor Clint, I don't know if you know this, but most black churches where I come from, usually when there's like a guest speaker or something like that, they usually, you know, have a saying, you know, they go through an order of honoring, you know, the, the Godhead. They honor the Godhead and then they honor the pastor and then the first lady and so forth and all the people on staff. But I'm not going to do that. I've, I've told Clint time and time again how thankful I am for, the, for this opportunity because that song I wrote right there. I believe that the church needs to get an awareness of the kingdom of God in them. And we look at the state of our nation. We look at some of the broken communities that are not far from where we're sitting right now in this comfortable church. And I just constantly think about, man, the kingdom of God is in us. And uh, I I went through heart physics. Clint knows about this. And uh, when I when I wrote this song, I had just came out of heart physics and I was just trying to get an awareness of the kingdom of God in me. And as I was praying back and forth, I realized like there's a parable that talks about the dragnet, talks about how um, the kingdom of God is like a dragnet and it collects all these uh, these different type of fish. And basically, um, I realized that when I was praying back and forth and I'm just in my mind imagining this this dragnet that I'm dragging and I was just imagining souls being the fish that this parable was referring to. And so you just have to remember that everywhere that we go, whether it's Starbucks, whether it's your job, whether you got a cookout to go to. I know we got the holidays coming up, but the kingdom of God is on the inside of you. And so when we go where we go, the king is there. We're his ambassadors. We're his representatives. And so it's something I'm very, very passionate about is instilling that awareness of the kingdom in people. And so, Clint, I just want to thank you for this. Thank you for trusting me, man, because I could... You know, get up here and make. Okay. But we, <laughs> but Trent McLean is a very discerning person, and so um, I'm, I'm sure he got the inkling that I wouldn't do anything silly. So um, I'm thankful for this opportunity. Um, when he when he gave me the the opportunity to speak, I had something different prepared, and I realized just a few days ago that um, that that wasn't it. And so just the other day, I woke up and this phrase that was just stirring in my heart. And the name of the message today is going to be Crossing Paths, subtitle, When Eternities Intersect. You guys been thinking about eternity at all? I find myself all the time thinking about eternity, particularly since I've come into this message. You know, I got saved back in 2008. And uh, I'll just segue here. So in 2008, there was a high school teacher that was notorious. We would say that he would be famous, but he was notorious, infamous, shall I say, for laying hands on the sick. Um, Still to this day, I have a relationship with the guy. Um, He just got back from doing missions work in Japan. But this guy had a journal he kept of all the miracles that happened at Thompson High School. And so um, I met this guy on a different wing of my high school. So anyway, there was a, a family living with my family. We were in a double wide trailer and there were probably about 20 individuals uh, living in this trailer. 
a lot of people from uh, drug abuse background, just various different brokenness uh, that was happening in that, in that trailer. And so there was a cousin of mine who we were wrestling on the trampoline one day, and I put the crack down on her. I did this, this arm bar wrestling move. I'm a big WWE fan. And so, <laughs> so she, this, this thing swells up. It, it becomes discolored. My mom, I got a beating from my mom because they thought that, we, that I had broke her wrist. And so um, they go to the doctor. They put a cast on it. So the next day, she comes back from school, um, and she's laughing. And she's like, ah, ha, 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 my arm's not hurting anymore. And I'm like, where's your cast? And she said, my teacher, Mr. Osborne, he, he prayed for me, and God healed it. And man, that got my attention right there, because I grew up in a home that believed in God. I grew up in a community where, and I, we're going to talk a little bit about evangelism with, with the time we have, but I want to say the one, the one reason why I'm, I'm so passionate about evangelism is because had this guy, Mr. He's, he's, he's cool with me sharing his name. I told him I was going to be talking about him. But this guy, Neil, had he not lived the life and the legacy that he lived at my high school, there would be no Tory Ivy at Fort Clint. There wouldn't be. And so I'm really thankful that he stepped out. And so anyway, I, I found this guy, and he invited me to, into a Bible study, and he shares the full gospel with me. And um, I had some other friends there in that circle that should have raised their hand and invited Christ into their heart, and they didn't. But anyway, I've been to church before, you know, seasonally or occasionally, like the holidays. Uh, we would go every single year. But I never heard anyone talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And I know this is, I don't know if this is part of the Bible Belt, if that's just a Midwest thing. But in the South, most people know about Jesus. They know about the Easter story. But one thing that I can honestly say in all, out of all the church services I've been to, I've never heard anyone really go in on the resurrection like that man did in that dusty music classroom. And so that got my attention. And so that, what that meant for me was that, you know, because I, I didn't really make the connection. Okay, Jesus died for my sins. He hung on the cross. I've heard that before, but that didn't really make a connection with me. And what he elaborated on is that when God raised Jesus from the dead, that was symbolic for us having a resurrection of life, whether it be emotional, whether it be physical, and ultimately spiritual. And so that got my attention right there, and I prayed that prayer, and I received Christ as my Lord. And about a year and a half later, I got plugged in with this mentor of mine and started going to a church where they uh, were very, very passionate about sharing the gospel. I'm talking kids, teenagers went out on the streets just about every weekend, and they shared the gospel with people. These kids saw miracles, and that was something that I, I, thought, I thought I really, really wanted to see. And the thing that got me from, I, sh I should say point B, because I was at a different church to that other church I was at, was I went to my bishop. Anybody know what a bishop is? I was, I was talking to my wife. I I'll tell you this right here. <laughs> I was telling Kate, she's like, you don't, you're always talking about your bishop. What is a bishop? And, and so she thought that, in her estimation, a bishop was just a, a black guy who's a preacher. Because that's pretty much, there's a lot of people who, you know, they carry those self-imposed titles and, you know, they ain't really got the credentials for that. And so, but this guy, he was an overseer of about 13 churches. And I remember I was talking to my mentor. It's like, you know what? I'm not saying that I'm beyond the point of sin. I'm not saying that I'm perfect, but it's like, I believe that I should live a godly, holy life. And it's like, I, I was crying to him and I told him, I'm sick and tired of just focusing on living a holy life. I want to be used by God. 
And I think that my mentor was being careful to not get me into works righteousness because he saw how zealous I was. And so I think he was trying to protect my heart. But once I told him that, it's like, it ain't about trying to make God happy. It's just, I have what I have. And I believe that everybody around me needs what I have. I believe that I have the greatest news any person could ever be given. And so I want to know what, I want to learn how to give that good news to other people. And so at the same time, I was a part of a organization called, was it, is it FCA, babe? Yeah, FCA, Fellowship Christian Athletes. And so I was there, and while I was kind of getting fired up and talking to them about sharing the gospel before I actually ever did it, um, they were telling me that, you know, the biggest thing we needed to focus on is just living a holy life and wait for the opportunity to ask us. And they had a verse to back that up. You guys are familiar with the verse in 1 Peter 3. It talks about um, be ready to give an answer to those who ask you for the hope that is in you. And I waited. And I waited. <laughs> and I waited until one Wednesday night, I went to this church I was telling you guys about. And uh, this guy, Nate Barber, he's a, he's a pastor in South Carolina. He's a, a dear friend of mine also. But he gave this message and he talked about how it's kind of similar to what uh, Sarah was talking about the other day, about us being in our Christian bubble. And so, you know, I was kind of in and out of the message, but the one thing that made my ears perk up was he talked about how Christians usually stay in their Christian bubbles while everybody outside of that Christian bubble, either they die and go to hell, or maybe there's another Christian, hopefully, that'll share the gospel with them. And he's, I, I think I've heard this example before, but it, he, he just kind of likened it unto, you know, seeing a person crossing the street, if they're blind, you know, wouldn't you have the courtesy and the decency to step in the way and to make sure that they don't get hit by the bus, that, that type of deal. And I think examples like that have certainly made people motivated by fear, and that's, that, you know, it's, it's never great to be motivated by fear. We want to be motivated by the love of God. You know, Jesus had the weightiest call and the weightiest mandate on his life was to bear the sins of the world so that we could all know him and enjoy fellowship with God. No one had it harder than Jesus. And so, but Jesus was a man who was actually motivated by the love of God. And so that Wednesday night, I heard that and I thought, I'm not waiting anymore. I don't care how goofy I look. I don't care. I don't care if I get cussed out. I don't care if I, if I get jumped. And I tell you, there have been times I've shared the gospel where I almost got jumped because I was kind of in their face and, you know, maybe I was a little bit more fiery than I should have been. But, I, but I, had, I had great intentions. I believe that everybody needs to receive that good news. I, I believe it's, it's pertinent for every person on the planet, don't you? Amen. Amen. And so, um, and hopefully some of the things I share with the time we have, maybe that'll give a little credence or maybe justify why I share so passionately about evangelism. Because I'll tell you, um, not here, okay, but most Christians I've talked to about evangelism. I went to a Christian college for about three years, didn't finish, but I went out there and I can't tell you how many enemies I made. I can't tell you how shunned I've felt and been and uh, how lonely I've been just, you know, just trying to pass the baton and share that passion for evangelism because it's for everybody. Say it's for everybody. If you're a believer, if you're a believer, say that. If you're a believer, sorry about that. 
You are called to win the lost. Amen. And so, again, this idea of crossing paths when, inter- when eternities intersect, that just began rolling in my heart. And so we're going to talk about some of the examples, some of the examples in Scripture of Jesus crossing paths with people. And we know that Jesus is the, is the bread of life. He is eternal life. He is he said in uh, John 17 that to know God is eternal life. And there's been this there's been this picture painted of eternity, particularly for people who don't know Jesus. This grim picture about hell. And I believe in hell. Jesus had several things to say about it. It is a reality. But I want to leave you with this thought right here. We're not leaving yet, but I, I want to give you this thought right here. Eternity is not just about duration, but it's also about quality. And so when he talks about he who know and he who believes in, so John three sixteen when it talks about uh, let's 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 turn there. Get a little bit of a traction before I lose my way here. So let's let's go to John three sixteen. And so look at my point right here. The first point I wanted to go through is uh, keeping eternity in mind. And so eternity will be either a godless or God-filled eternity. And so we know that God is an eternal God. Eternity is now and in essence, but when we step off, when we put off this body right here, there's a dimension and a reality of that eternity that we step into. And so we know that you know, if you're a believer, once we put off this flesh, we're going to be with God forever. And I'm super excited about that. And I was, I was, uh, there will be times I'll talk to my wife about heaven. And, you know, she'll say, well, you know, we still have a future ahead of us. You know, we want to grow our family and we have dreams and other different things. But from the lifestyle that I come from and um, my neck of the woods, man, I'm so looking forward to the return of Jesus. And so it's not a dreadful idea for me at all. And so, eternity in mind. Everybody say, eternity in mind. All right, John 3, 16. And so, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but so that the world might be saved through him. The one who believes in him is not judged. The one who believes not has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. And so Jesus is not out to judge people right now, but there is a judgment right now. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about that. But with that judgment, just keep in mind that we're lifted from that judgment. Say we're lifted from that judgment. So there's no condemnation if you're in Christ. We're not expecting any of God's wrath. Really, any person that has breath in their life right now. Because of Jesus, the wrath of God has been suspended. No one's getting what they deserve. Isn't that good news? I'm so thankful for that, that I don't get what I deserve. You know, there's times, you know, my my wife and I, we've been married for about three and a half years, and we'll have spats, you know, here and there. And there's times I'm thinking, you know, as I'm, you know, turning to God to, you know, let him uh, comfort me about that. I'm just thankful that my wife is so gracious and she is so patient with me because she knows I I got a pretty rough past, y'all. And so sometimes that, that past will come up and, you know, uh, we'll, we'll deal with it as we go along. But I'm super thankful that my wife doesn't give me what I deserve. And so the world is not getting what they deserve. Amen. Amen. All right. And so this uh, other verse I wanted to go through here. Um, 
Let's go to John 1. Back up a couple chapters. And so this, this idea with crossing paths, eternities intersecting, I just thought about how, you know, Jesus being the fullness of God, being divinity, you can look at the gospel as divinity and humanity actually crossing at an intersecting point right there. So Jesus came down. He came down. He was one of us. Let me go ahead and read from this right here. Pardon me. All right. John chapter one. Let's start at verse one. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him, not even one thing that came into being that has come into being in him was life and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. When I skip down to verse, uh, let's go down to verse 9. All right, so this was the true light that coming into the world enlightens every person. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not accept him. But as many as have received him, them to him he gave the right to become the children of God to those who believe in his name, who were not born, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of a man, but of God. And so when we're born of God, that dimension of God's life, God's character, infuses our eternity. Because again, you know, we know God is an eternal being, but there's a part of us that has eternity written on our hearts at the moment of conception. And so we're part of that eternity. But when the life of God comes on the inside of us, it says that we receive the power to become ch children of God. And, you know, some people think that when we become Christians and, you know, we talk about we're righteous, we're this and that, they, they view it in a metaphorical lens. But Ephesians 1, 6 says that we were made accepted in the beloved. And that verse right there has a, the root word grace. And so you look at it. It actually required power for us to be made acceptable to God. So apart from God's working power on the inside of us, apart from God's grace, making us what we could not be apart from his strength, we could we have no hope of being made acceptable to God. And the lost and dying world out there, God loves them. He has compassion on them. Um, he, he wants for them to receive Jesus. But according to Scripture, they're not made acceptable. Does it mean they're filthy? No. Does it mean that they're unwanted? <laughs> no, it doesn't mean that at all. God has so much passion for the lost. But when we receive Jesus, it says that we become made accepted in the beloved. And so I'm, I'm, I'm reminded, I'm sorry, verses kind of hit me around. I really didn't plan to talk about some of these. But, you know, it talks about in Ephesians 1, be imitators of God as dearly, dearly beloved children. And so, and so in context, we're talking about the world that's, that's dying and going to hell. They, they need a savior. They need a Lord. So if we're to be in this world right here, if we're to imitate God, the way we do that is out of a sense of being loved by God. You know, when Jesus had the Holy Spirit come down on him, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, Spirit shortly after his um, baptism. The first thing that God said to him or said, he made this announcement that this is my beloved son and who I am well pleased. And God is pleased with you. 
I know you're pleased with me, Father. God is pleased with his children, not based on our performance, but based on the work that occurred, the, the work that took place when we called on the name of Jesus. God's life came on the inside of us. And, you know, all it takes is simple faith. I was telling Kate this the other day. Um, I, I kind of needed her to, to talk to me a little bit about magnetism because a lot of times when I see those verses in Ephesians 2 about faith and grace, I sort of see those those little magnet filings. You know, you guys ever done that project before where you got like a, a piece of a magnet and you got the filings in there and you can make all these designs and shapes. Well, the grace of God is like a ready magnet that's attracted to our faith. And so when we place our faith in Christ Jesus, when we place our faith in Christ for whatever we need that he's provided for, grace comes in like a magnet and it attracts to our faith and the life of God works on the inside of us to do whatever is, do whatever is needed whatever we need. And so when we receive the life of God, that active functional grace comes on the inside of us and we're made as children and we're made as representatives. Amen. Amen. And so eternity in mind. So I'm, I'm going to go through a few, a few stories here of Jesus going off the path. You know, Jesus crossed paths with a lot of people in the gospels. We have these amazing stories of hope. They give us hope. So that we know if there's anything, any story that fits our story in the Gospels that we need for, we've got scripture for it. We don't need to ask God about it. All we do, need to do is just act on our faith and receive what he's already given us through Jesus. And so the first story I want to talk about is the woman um, of Samaria, the woman at the well. And so if you guys know anything about the history between the Samaritans and uh, the Jews, I'm sure Clint could give us a uh, a holistic lecture on that, but there was bad blood between the Jews and the Samaritans. Everybody say bad blood. Bad blood. They, they had some issues because Samaritans were half Jews and half Gentiles. And Gentiles were people who were not, the, they basically weren't the people of God. And so it's interesting that this story is noted here because, I mean, Jesus, according to the Jews, he really had no business to be in those neck of the woods. And so Jesus he goes through Samaria and it says that he had to. And so when he gets there, he, he engages this woman right here. So we're going to go to John chapter four, uh, verse six. All right. Actually, verse seven, pardon me on that. All right, so Jesus is there, he's tired, he's sitting by a well, and he engages this woman right here in verse 7. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me your drink. For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. So the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, though you being a Jew, are asking for a drink from me, though I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Jesus replied to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and we, he would have given you living water. She said, sir, you have no bucket and the well is deep. Where then did you get this living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us a well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. And then Jesus said this to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water Shall never thirst, shall never be thirsty again, but the water I give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to eternal life. Everybody say eternal life. eternal life. 
And so Jesus engages this woman right here, goes off the beaten path, really had no business being there, but he purposed in his heart to go through there for a particular reason. And scripture doesn't say explicitly that it was to engage this woman, but he goes there. And at the end of this story, she believes that he is the Christ. And other Samaritans, they catch wind of what's, what's happened, you know, her, her encounter with Jesus. And she went off basically to tell that the Christ is actually here, that he's come. You see that right there? And so she goes and tells them about the everlasting life, all because Jesus went off the beaten path. And so I'm reminded of Jesus going off the beaten path because where I'm from, there are no Christians there are no grace people where I'm from. There are, no, there are no Christians who know about the gospel of peace where I'm from. But at my high school, someone, in a sense, went off the beaten path, and he shared the gospel with me. And so I see that in Scripture. I'm, in, I'm inspired by that. I'm inspired to go off the beaten path. Amen? We're going we're to share another story right here. Batman of Gadara. Man, that is probably my favorite. Let me share about this right now. That's probably my favorite uh, miracle story in the Gospels. Where I come from, <laughs> the cops were at our house a lot. I'll just say that. I'm, I'm, I'm so serious. And uh, I was telling my wife about this. You know, she told me recently that I kind of need to push pause on the stories because a lot of them are so gruesome. They're so tragic. They're so, so depressing. But a lot of holidays where I'm from, in, in my, my trailer where I'm from, there were a lot of knives swinging, a lot of violence, a lot of anger, a lot of fist fighting, a lot of shootings in my neighborhood. And, um, and I'm, I'm sharing this not to just paint some dramatic story to you, but I want, I want us to see beyond the confines of this church right here. You might not find much activity like this happening in Peachtree City or Tyrone, but, but I just want to give you guys a perspective of my world and where I'm from. And so when I was 13 years old, I saw my first... It was the first time I saw someone shot and killed. There was an altercation across the street. You know, it started into like this, this huge fight that came out of the house. And so everybody from my community is coming out there watching it. And this would happen all the time. And so I'm standing probably uh, maybe 70 yards while this is happening. And uh, these two guys jumped this one guy who was a relative of mine. And so all of a sudden, you see these two guys dart out of this house, and all of a sudden, my cousin, I'm not going to you know, give his name, but my cousin pulls out a rifle, and he guns one of the guys down right in the ditch. And can you imagine a community like that where kids are watching this as if it's, it's entertainment? It's like it's, it's normal to see this time and time again. Think about who would dare cross their paths someone who has the eternal life of God, who would intersect their eternity and to make sure that they have the life of God on the inside of them. And, the, and these stories may seem kind of, you know, extreme. They may seem kind of abnormal, but there are a lot of stories out there like this. And so I'm, I'm, I'm using my stories and, and where I come from to paint a picture that, hey, like there's, there's lost people out there that need to be saved. And so I grew up seeing violence all the time in my own household. Um, there were tragic things that happened all the time. And so when I get born again, it's clear to me that everybody in my community need this. Everyone needed it. And so 
Matt Managadera. We're going to talk about that. So Jesus meets this guy, and um, we don't know why he purposed in his heart to go there, but Jesus decided that this is the way that he's going. And the Matt Managadera actually met Jesus, and he cried out, and it says that this man had been cutting himself with tombs, uh, uh, tombstones. This guy had been screaming and crying, and it said that they tried bounding him several times, and not even chains, which several men could bound this, this madman. And so Jesus has one encounter with this guy, and he's completely set free. Isn't that wonderful? The guy's completely set free. And at the end of the story right here, I can imagine if I were, I was a madman, believe me, but if I were this madman, I would want to follow Jesus with everything in me. But Jesus, he, he asked Jesus, can I follow you, Master? Can I follow you? And Jesus said, no, you don't need to follow me. But what you need to do, what you can do, what you have the right to do, is just tell others about the good things that the Lord has done for you. And so that's what we're called to do. You don't have to have a crazy story like mine. You don't even have to really have a, a super dramatic spiritual story. We've got tons of stories to share right here of hope, of what Jesus has done and what he's still willing to do today and what he will do until he returns. Amen. 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 And so um, that, that is absolutely my favorite story right there, Madman of Gadara. I'm glad I'm glad that, that Jesus intersected his eternity, his eternity and crossed his path and gave him complete, entire freedom. Amen? Amen. You know, just a, a few weeks ago, give the, give the reference for that. Sorry about that. There's actually a few references here. There's uh, Mark 5, 1 through 20. Uh, we've got Matthew 8, 28 through 34, and Luke 8, 26 through 39. And so... You know, recently Clint has been talking about, uh, you know, demons and fallen angels. And, you know, he shared something that I thought, to my knowledge, I was, well, I was the only person who had these experiences and, and these encounters. And so I don't know if you guys know what root doctors are, people who they call it dabbling in the roots in the South. It's basically witchcraft. And so there were a couple of root doctors where I'm from. And I grew up in a very, very superstitious family. Probably by the time I was maybe six years old, I watched like the first exorcism movie. I've seen all of them by the time I was a young teenager. And so there was a lot of fear coupled with the violence and some of the other things happening in my household. And up until the time I got saved, um, probably starting in middle school, I was on medication for depression and anxiety. And I would have these moments. Um, I played band in middle school and I would have these moments of, you know, pick up my trumpet, and it was like I was being eaten alive by ants. And so in the middle of this pep rally happening at my middle school, I would run out, tearing my shirt off, and I'd run to the bleachers and take a cold shower. And uh, there was once where uh, the principal confronted me about it, and he accused me of being on drugs or something. He knew my family was crazy, and he thought that I was on drugs too. But um, I had these things plaguing me all the time. The thing that Clint shared in his sleep, you know, have something pressing down on me and wasn't able to breathe, wasn't able to move. This shadow figure would come out of the closet and pounce on top of me. And when I was seeing a psychologist, they actually label it this right now. They call it uh, sleep paralysis. They believe that it's, you know, you're waking up 
Uh, your mind is waking up before your body actually does. But it's not sleep, it's not sleep paralysis. <laughs> that junk is devilish, utterly devilish. And so shortly after I got saved, I was, you know, I had some fears about the devil. But once I got filled with the spirit and I learned about my authority in Christ, it's happened a couple times. But it's like, you know what? Like Clint said, like the devil ain't got nothing on us. He is a defeated foe. He has no power over us. And if anything, like the past few times it happened, I just went in my own mind and, you know, rebuked it and it went away. And I questioned what's within me that, like, you know, Clint did the whole synchronizing thing or whatever. What, what, what was it that was within me that would allow something like that to take place? That's when I just go in my own heart and I was like, all right, I'm nipping it in the bud. This is not happening again. And so I completely identify with the madman. Completely identify with the madman. All right. So these, these other uh, three phrases right here kept coming up. So I'm going to talk a little bit about evangelism, the few minutes we have right here. How can you engage someone who's at a bustling coffee shop or at the airport, you know? And so how can you engage your family members? We, we know we've got scripture where Jesus uh, was in his own hometown, and he said a prophet is not without honor except within his hometown. And I tell you, there's some validity to that. Jesus said it. There's validity to that. But I've seen it time and time again where my loved ones, I've led my own loved ones to the Lord. My mom, who is, you know, she's struggling with some other different, she, they're basically Jehovah Witnesses right now. And so um, I led both of my parents to the Lord. I led, I'm the young, okay. So I'm the youngest of seven, four brothers, two sisters. I led both of my parents to the Lord. I led three of my four brothers to the Lord. And I led both of my sisters to the Lord. And so the three phrases that kept coming up was fleeting moments, recurring opportunities, and lasting relationships. Everybody say that. Say fleeting moments, recurring opportunities, and lasting relationships. What do we do with those? How do we, how do we handle them, right? And um, I'm just going to quickly share some stories that will That'll uh, demonstrate all three of these points right here. So fleeting moments. I used to work at Sonic, and I worked there for six years, and it was the worst job I've ever had. You know, God bless anybody that's doing that right now. Keep hope alive. My goodness. So there was a guy there named Travis, and it was Travis's last day. And this is after I just got back from a campaign we did at the old church I was going to. We went out on the streets, saw amazing things happen. So I'm thinking... I've got to tell Travis about Jesus. And so I'm not kidding you. And you guys may disagree with this method because you may question, how is it just in a few minutes of someone reciting a prayer that anything possible can happen? So we got a rush from Sonic and we're flipping burgers and I'm literally dancing around flipping burgers and I'm sharing the gospel with Jesus. We had a track that we would use to tell people about Jesus. And so I quickly went through it, identified that this guy had already been church, but he didn't know about his eternity. He didn't know what it meant, meant to have a relationship with God. And so after about three or four minutes of me sharing, I asked Travis, Travis, this is your last day, man. What do you got to lose? Like, are you open? Are you willing to pray a prayer as a way to receive Christ into your heart so you can know about your eternity? Travis said yes, prayed a prayer with him. Last time I ever saw Travis. And so, what do you, so, so who are we to surmise about what happened with that? It was an opportunity. Jesus has 
had moments of, you know, fleeting moments of people encountering him and quickly, miraculously, miraculous things will happen when people encounter Jesus. And so when you get born again, it's kind of an unseen thing. But on the spiritual realm, there is monumental activity taking place. Amen. All right. And so got another story I wanted to share. So, you know, I'll do I'll do this. Another Sonic story. How about that? So there was a guy sitting on our patio. I'm working like a, a nine hour shift. By this time, it's probably around nine o'clock. And we noticed that there's a guy that had been sitting on the patio. Big brute looking dude sitting on the patio. He must have been up there about six hours or so. And so my shift's about to end. I go out there, run trash, run trash, and I talk to the guy. Hey, man, what's going on? And I notice there's blood all over this guy's arm, and it looks like he's in one of those, um, one of those, those, those uh, gowns that people wear in a, in a mental hospital facility. And so maybe they look more like scrubs. And so I'm thinking that guy needs help. And so and I, I run back inside, and I'm finishing my shift. And my manager knew me to tell people about Jesus. I got reprimanded a couple times. And he says, you better not go talk to that guy. <laughs> and so I told him I wouldn't. And so I made another trash run. And I talked to the guy out there. His name was John. I said, hey, man, meet me at this corner store. It's a couple blocks down the road. And so, so I, I did my last trash run. And I pretended like I was going home. And so I drove a couple blocks around. And I went to go get this guy. And I share the gospel with this guy. He's telling me about what happened. They were being really, really mean and cruel to him. The guy actually hitchhiked all the way from Atlanta. And Thompson, so let me tell you this, my hometown Thompson is actually two and a half hours east of Atlanta. So this guy hitchhiked two and a half hours to my hometown. And he somehow just miraculously ended up um, on my patio at Sonic. And so I share the gospel with the guy. He was telling me how mean and cruel they've been to him. And so... I knew that he can go and get help from people who are more mature than me. And it was a cowboy church where my mentor would, uh, would go and, and, and do like little revivals and whatnot. And so we go to this, um, this cowboy church and there was an event going on called the Emu Festival. And I take John there. This guy gets filled with the spirit. And I was, I don't know, maybe I was there for a few hours, but I came back home. When I get home, my parents are out in the yard. Cops are out in the yard. So my manager actually called my parents and said, hey, there's a really suspicious guy on the patio. We caught the cops on him, but we think that Tory is probably going to go try to help that guy. And so I, I lost my driving privileges probably for about, probably about six months. And so I, I had to go back to riding the bus. But anyway, a week later, I get a phone call from the elder at this cowboy church, and he told me that, you know, John said that he feels like he's come to his senses. He's got the help that he needs but he feels like he needs to go back, return, you know, turn himself in at the facility he, he was in, and whatever was going to happen was going to happen, you know, but he wanted to finish his time respectfully. And so I crossed paths with this, I crossed paths with this guy. <clears throat> Excuse me about that. But there was probably nobody, nobody was going to intersect this guy. Nobody was going to talk to him. They were going to call the cops on this guy, and that was going to be the end of him. And let's say had he died, <coughs> excuse me, a couple years later, I don't know where John's eternity, where, where John would be spending his eternity. I really don't know. But it bugs me enough, it motivates me enough to actually do my part. If I see another John, 
I'm going to share the gospel with him. Amen. And so let's, uh, all right, recurring opportunities. You guys have any places that you frequent, maybe a coffee shop or a place that you eat out at? Can I see some hands? <laughs> recurring opportunities are easy, y'all. You can plant seeds. I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just simple as telling people, hey, man, God loves you and he's got a plan for your life. You know, when I share the gospel with people, that first year I got activated in sharing the gospel back in 2009, I talked a little bit about hell. But since then, I don't talk about hell. I don't think it's necessary. I think the good news is so great that if I elaborate on that, that the truth pierces a person's heart and they're going to be they're, they're going to see how how the gospel actually relates to them. And so recurring opportunities are so, 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 so easy. And so you guys have anybody like a waiter or a waitress that you connect with? That, yeah. And so just it's as simple as planting seeds, getting to know their name, asking about their life, taking interest in them, because how many, you know, God is taking deep, deep interest in us, you know? Tipping good. Uh, yeah, <laughs> tipping good. Simple ways to do that. And you get to a point where you have a relationship with this person and you just begin to tell them about how much God loves them. You know, God has a plan for their life. Ask them, hey, you go to, do you go to church anywhere? Invite them to church. If they're not open to it, um, depending on where the relationship is and, you know, your comfort level, begin to ask them, hey, have you, have you ever received Jesus? What, what do you think about Jesus? You know, make, make it an open conversation. And you would be so amazed at how open people actually are. And, you know, I've had a lot of people um, at this Christian college I went to that told me that they were so afraid of, they were more afraid of scaring people away from God than actually bringing people to a point of conversation about their eternity. And I'm telling you, people are way more open than you think. Have you ever been out in public and you've seen someone with a really, really nice pair of shoes? I mean, Clint's got some really good looking boots on. I'm sure you've complimented a few people about their boots that, that have impressed you before, right? Probably. It's really simple. You just start having conversations with people. And so the next time you see that waiter, that waitress, maybe that waitress is a struggling single mom. You notice she's got makeup on, you know, it, you know, my wife, Kate, we, we're, we're trying to practice this a little bit more now. But just be just be a person, a loving, caring person. Hey, you look really, really nice today. How are you doing today? Just taking interest in people. It's really, really simple. You know, just a few weeks ago, Courtney and I, we have a place that we frequent. And there was a girl there that I was determined, man, I, <laughs> I want to talk to her about Jesus. And so um, there was a moment where we, we went out to lunch and um, sorry, I didn't plan this story right here. So we, we went to lunch and so she comes and she brings us our food and I'm just like, hey, you look kind of sick today. And so it's probably a better way to do that, <laughs> but I can tell. I get, maybe, maybe, maybe this is more Holy Spirit, you know, so, but anyway, we walked in and immediately I noticed, I think she's sick. And so if your wife is with you, maybe she'll do, Lyle, you know, Beth, Bethany's with you. Maybe she can help you to, to be a little bit more polished than that. But uh, I, I just, when we first walked in, I thought, man, she looks sick and just compassion of God just came in my heart. And so I asked her, I said, hey, are you feeling okay today? It's like, yeah, I'm a little sick. And I thought, mmm, that's, that's not cool. And so she brings us our food and brings us our food. And um, a few minutes go by and I asked her, hey, like uh, before we, we leave, can we pray with you? 
And she's like, yeah. And so we finished our meal and we went over there and prayed for her, just commanded whatever was wrong to leave and you know, just spoke the life of God over her. And I thought we had to jet and I walk away and Courtney goes, how do you feel? <laughs> and she goes, what? <laughs> and he says, take a deep breath. And she took a deep breath and she's like, whoa, I can breathe differently. It's better. And so um, I didn't share the gospel with her, but that was a seed right there. Just telling people how, how much God loves them. God has a plan for their life. And if they're sick, if they're hurting, if they seem like they're not having a, such a good day, take interest in that. And you plant those seeds right there. You actually begin to earn the right to speak into that person's life. Amen. 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 All right. And so quickly, lasting, lasting relationships. Let's, let's talk about family. I can't tell you <laughs> how many times I've heard Christians talk about that we basically are the least likely candidates to win our family members. And there's a, I'm not denying, I mean, Jesus, Jesus said it. Everybody say Jesus said it. Jesus. I'm not denying what Jesus said. But what I'm telling you is that there is a way that we manage those relationships that will actually give us the right to influence our families. And so my mom, God bless her, I blasted her with the gospel. <laughs> I wasn't really polished. I wasn't really nice about it. I did the best I could, though. But guess what? My mom was willing to receive Christ into her heart. She was. Let me tell you about my dad. My dad, um, we were watching a movie terrible movie. You probably shouldn't be watching this movie, but this movie was, uh, I think it was uh, 13 years of slavery or something like that. And there was a really, really horrible scene where um, they came, you know, these, uh, the KKK members came in and they burnt this church down and killed the people in it. I mean, it was an awful scene. But for whatever reason, I got the gumption to use that as an opportunity. And so I asked my dad, hey, dad, you know, you, you went to church when you, when you were my age, right? It's like, yeah, we, we went to church. And I asked, how did you guys know that people were saved? Like, what did you believe about that? And he thought, and he's like, well, if, if you were a consistent tither, if you, if you served at church and, you know, we believe you were going to go to heaven because of that. I was like, just those two things? And he's like, yeah, just those two things. And so I pulled out this track I had because I knew that my dad was, you know, him being my father, there was going to be a little bit of pride right there, you know. And so imagine, you know, your child, for those of you who have kids, trying to point you in the right direction, trying to, trying to lead you to the light. I mean, it's kind of a weird dynamic, right? As so I'm talking to my dad, I pull out this card. I'm like, hey, we use this on, on the streets all the time. And this is what we use to pray with people to get saved. And so I'm walking through the track. It's like a Romans, to Romans road to salvation. Ba 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 ba. You agree with that? Oh, yeah, that, I think I heard that in the Bible. You believe that? It's like, yeah, it's like, oh, okay, cool, awesome. Go down to the next one. And by the time I got to the end of that script, I said, Dad, like, has anyone ever talked to you about all of these points right here? And he goes, yeah, I heard about all that, but like Jesus being raised from the dead, that sounds kind of different. And so I asked my dad, would you be willing to pray this prayer with me as a way to re receive Christ and invite him into your heart? And he goes, no, son, I'll, I'll do that on my own time. And so, I, I, okay, I respect that. And so I was, I'm just going to leave this track right here on this table. And I went to the bathroom. And when I came back, my dad was on his knees <laughs> praying this prayer. 
to receive Christ into his heart. And I asked him, I said, Dad, did you mean that? <laughs> and he said, yeah, every word. And he goes, it's as simple as that? I said, as simple as that, Dad. If you believe in your heart and confess the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's as simple as that. And so I wanted to illustrate those three different things right there because we all have fleeting moments, whether it's a bustling coffee shop or whether it's at the airport. We all have those recurring opportunities, whether it's that favorite diner you like to eat at. And we all have those lasting relationships, whether it be family members, whether it be co-workers, whether it, whether it be friends. We want to cross. There's an evangelist here, here in, in Georgia that talks about crossing over the chicken line. We want to cross all, over the chicken line <laughs> and actually talk to our, our loved ones about eternity. And I don't really mention eternity when I, when I share the gospel with people. I just talk about God's quality of life. And if they're sick, I tell them what that quality of life means about their sickness. If they're depressed, I tell them about what that quality of life means if they're depressed, because I've been depressed before. But the gospel is simple. It's easy. Simple and easy. Yeah, Let me share this last passage right here, and then I'll wrap it up. Let's go to let's go to Romans 10. And we're going to start at verse verse 9. And this is this is our call as believers. This is our mandate. You don't have to be an evangelist to share the gospel with people. You can just do it being simply you. And, you know, God wants us, there's a place for us to be authentic. And, you know, the crusades aren't for everybody. Even going out on teams, that may not be something that's for everybody, but there is a way to do that. And you can be authentically you and God will use you where you are. And so Romans 10 verse 9, it says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. All right, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Just think about that, How? How will they hear? How will they believe in whom they have not heard? Verse 14 again. How are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? I was talking to my wife about, a pre about preachers and how there's, you know, preachers have been sort of stigmatized. Just when you see, when you see preach, just see share. You got to share. You ain't got to preach. You ain't got to huff and puff. Just share. Amen. Just share out of the sincerity of your heart. So let's read it this way. How are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? How are they to hear without someone who shares? Verse 15. But how are they to share unless they are sent? Just as it is written. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. Amen. Everybody say, I'm called, I'm called to the Great Commission, the, great commission. The, kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, 
is within me. And everywhere I go, the king is there. Life, blessing, peace, joy, God's goodness is flowing out of me. Because I'm ambassador of that kingdom. Amen. Father, I thank you. Man, good stuff, good stuff, good stuff. I appreciate that inspiration. I don't, I don't want to call it challenge because it's not really a challenge. It's just inspiring, right, to just lift us up and say, look, you know, this, it's, it's easy. It's easier than we think. And <clears throat> I'm excited to watch God continue to work in this church because some people are called to specific offices, right? We're all called to the work of an evangelist, but there are official, meaning position of office, evangelists. And, you know, maybe there's a little something working there. I don't know. What do y'all think? I think we got Lyle coming up on deck soon, Courtney coming up on deck soon. But watch God work. Amen? Just stand up on your feet. Put your attention on him. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together. We thank you for the opportunity to be and do church together. And what church is, is family. It's a group of people recognizing that we belong to you. We're committed to walking in love toward each other because that is the example that will draw the world to you, and we get to tell people about Jesus along the way. And, you know, I, I don't want to create a, a false sense of commitment, but in your heart, just make the decision. You're going to act on that inspiration that Tori brought to us today, and you will take advantage of those fleeting moments, those recurring opportunities, and number three, Lasting relationships. Good job. You made, you made an impact there. That's a blog. You need to write that article, and we'll get it up on the church website. Amen? Father, thank you so much. We commit our hearts to you. We want to follow you. We want to obey you. And even with our money, Lord, we want to commit to uh, disciplining ourselves to sow into the work of the ministry. Father, thank you that we're free. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but we want to make our dollars count for more than just meeting needs. We want to sow into the work of the ministry. So if you're giving today or you're giving this week, there's uh, up on the slide there to show you how to do it. A lot of people give digitally these days. You know, I think there is something powerful about holding that envelope or holding that money in your hand and committing it. But as we pray, just think about that. If, if, if you're giving this week or you're going to, just think about that. Think about that gift. Father, I sow this as a seed to reap a harvest for me and for the kingdom. I'm not manipulating you, Father, to give to me. It's an act of worship. It's an act of appreciation. It's an act of thanks to sow into the message, to sow into the kingdom, to sow into the ministry, to sow into this church, to equip and empower this body to move toward the world, to raise people up in who they are in Christ and bring people to the knowledge of Christ. Father, we give ourselves to you to be used by you, even more so in our community, online, in our relationships, and all those areas of our lives. Father, we thank you, and I speak life and blessing over every single person. You do say that there is a reward, there is a harvest for that gift. We're not earning it, but it's just the way the kingdom works, sowing and reaping. So, Father, as we sow, we trust that you are our provider. Just say, the Lord is my provider. Father, we thank you that you seek to provide for us exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. 
Father, we thank you that act of giving is what opens the door of my heart to trust you, to allow you to be my provider. So I trust you. Just tell them you trust him. I trust you, Lord. I want to be a blessing to you. I want to be a blessing to this church. I want to be a blessing to this community and to the nations. We thank you for that opportunity. I speak life and health over every person in this place as we walk out of here with what Tori has sown into us, keeping the eyes of our heart focused on you as we move throughout our week. We thank you for those opportunities to be a blessing to others. Amen and amen.